0: gladiator you will go on my first whistle elliot warsop you will go on my second whistle three two one yeah. so the pod has not started well so far cheers elliot uh, i'm joined by elliot warsop we're currently in the gun at findon village uh, <laughs> garden um I've gone to use the microphones that we use for the podcast and realised that they're out of battery, not realising I needed to charge them. So we're recording through the phone, but according to the voice memo here, it's picking up all right, so... It's looking healthy. Yeah, it's not too bad. So Elliot, hello mate, thank you for coming on, travelling all the way from Brighton to be here. Sam, it's a pleasure to be here. Always, always, (laughs) always need you to be happy to be here. Um... (laughs) so literally it picked Elliot up in the from the station brought him up here and li- I've made a little note that I'm joined by the most passionate speaker I've ever met and that that's just been from from the word go today he's just been rolling off reeling it through telling me about this that this that <laughs> things we can't mention on the podcast but yeah so m-
1: most passionate speaker I know how are you I'm doing very well, thank you, Sam. It's been a, uh, yeah, it's it's been a good day. It's been a good week. It's my birthday last week, so we're still uh, twenty eight now. Yeah, still still receiving uh, birthday wishes on Facebook, everybody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, the big two eight, the famous yeah, one, massive. Uh, but yeah, you've
0: got past twenty seven. That's always good. twenty seven.
1: Yeah, it was good. Yeah, twenty seven was fine. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> twenty two was a good one though. Twenty two is your was that your favourite? Twenty two. I think. One, yeah.
0: Oh, I don't know what my favourite is. That's that. That's a hard question. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. if I wasn't having to think more the about podcast. the podcast, I think I'll tell you what my favourite year was. But um, so yeah, so I've sort of made a made a little thing. All of my guests so far have been people I know, which I mean, when you're trying to get podcasts off the ground, always helpful, always, always helpful. So we've known each other a very long time. Played youth football against each other and together for dynamos a couple of times um brighton fan by trade so already gone up in my Absolutely. estimations from from the day we met um but yeah so we we had our you know drinking times at college and there's there's stories that i'll go on to about that and i've, I've added one to the sheet since i sent it to you yesterday but let's go from the beginning with this is beer podcast when was your first beer do you remember it do you, remember, do you remember that first sip of the amber nectar? Yeah,
1: that is a good question, and funnily enough, I haven't really thought about it before from such a specific point of view. But the the honest answer is I can't remember my first the first moment no. that it touched my lips. However, I do think that everybody in the UK most people sorry in the UK by definition are alcoholics i think gro- growing up i was surrounded by booze whether it was Everywhere, family yeah. parties just occasions tv shows uh similarly to yourself i've got an older sister so obviously uh a lot of bad influence um and and yeah really social parents so i'd say that the first proper time that i can remember i guess uh having more than one beer shall we say would be at we used to do these festivals called bridge fest you might have heard of before
0: no it was were that? around
1: like i think mostly like around like the south of the uk and then they settled in actually uh findon cricket club right over there yeah yeah in the village um so that's where the, the final few uh showdowns were but i remember it was like just like loads of people turning up maybe more than 100 people loads of families music tents and just there was loads of everyone was camping so there was like buckets of beers just, and you, you'd invite the boys and you'd just walk around and take one of those and take one of them oh, and, and, and you'd end up having a bit of a strange cocktail and uh i guess for a for a for a young for, for a ute <laughs> having, having such a mixture of alco- alcohol uh didn't necessarily go down incredibly well but um that's the first memory i can really have of, of uh yeah tasting that the, is the next that's
0: thing. a very good in-depth reply i think we're on to a good podcast here tap talk um you touch on it there that you think, like, a lot of, obviously not everyone in the UK, but a lot of the UK, you know, have got drinking is everywhere. And I think part of the reason why I do the tap tour, which is just trying different beers and going to different pubs, um, trying to just see what I can tick off, where I can go, find little hidden gems. But for me, part of, especially the tap talk, the podcast, more so is that there's this, almost a taboo with alcohol you know they've banned the sponsorship in sports and i understand that but you look at when they show as i said you're a brighton fan when they show in the program like um oh programs from 30 years ago when we played against we're playing liverpool saturday when we played against liverpool in 1983 this was what was in the program and they, they do the questions. Like they still do it in in football programs now and on more TV, social media, where they say, oh, what's your favourite holiday? What's your favourite car? What's your favourite meal? What's your favourite drink? Now, back then, you look through it, oh, a glass of red wine or a beer. But players are almost, they have to say, well, my favourite drink is water or <laughs> Lucasade because they yeah. sponsor me. There's, I get that there's issues with alcohol and. You know, too much alcohol is a, is a downfall. But actually, I feel like we all a lot of people like having a drink. Let's try and take the taboo away from it and actually celebrate it. Because if we didn't drink, we wouldn't. People wouldn't have jobs in pubs. People wouldn't have jobs in alcohol companies working. I've got friends that work for Heineken, things like that. Um, in moderation and getting the right balance. But yeah, I think in a way. We sh- it should be said set- you know you think if-, if Raheem Sterling comes out before the World Cup in an interview and goes yeah it's going to be hard going to Qatar because he can't drink people would go get out- get him out of the English. <laughs> like, he's an awful role model but he's probably thinking it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah so you said about that festival then like for your early drinking experiences your house parties at school were you a house party goer were you a house party thrower
1: I house went to your under eight I went to your eighteenth birthday house party did you yeah house parties for sure, I mean I was lucky that my parents were pretty uh pretty relaxed and once again like they're pretty social themselves, so they would have been uh it would have been hypocritical for them not to have let us have have mates around and and have a couple of drinks. I think more so than like going out clubbing when I was turning or when I was coming of age, I think it was definitely more a house party vibe sort of towards the end of high school going into college and i mean yeah i also i guess like that sort of spilled into university life yeah as well. i think like
0: your house i remember from your 18 because you know that was 10 years ago now yeah. and i shared a wow. pic i sent a picture there's a picture that i put on facebook of me and potkins from your party and it came up on my memories 10 years ago <laughs> and we look so, oh, so young but you're you know i remember fresh that, face your, no beard oh, carnage Your house was perfectly set up for house parties. You had had a social kitchen, yeah, yeah, open plan island in the middle, and then you had a a garden with all the different little parts of it for seating and
1: yeah, yeah, it was perfect. That's my my mum's trademark. Yeah, good old Trace.
0: So then you say about turning eighteen, coming of age. Like, I remember
1: seeing you in Liquid Lounge a bit, but were you much of a clubber? <laughs> <laughs> Was I much of a clubber? I wasn't... You know, like, we, we ended up there, inevitably, growing up in Worthing and, you know, going for drinks, being at the pub, like, where we are right now, at mm. the gun, sometimes it would get towards the end of a shift, Would have, we'd have a drink and end up there, but... Not so, not so often, to, to be perfectly honest. And I think there was a bit of a culture at college, maybe if you were playing in the football team or, or something like that, or in sports in general, maybe you'd end up going. But I guess at that age, for me, it was more going to gigs and, and yeah. going out of friends. Because
0: you are a big music lover.
1: I'm a music lover. And you're a very musically talented
0: man as well. Good on the <laughs> drums. Yeah, I dabble. I dabble. <laughs> he dabbles, he dabbles. But so, yeah, so more so. And would that be, you know, gig-wise, worthing location but more Brighton, you know, your Concorde Twos and The
1: Concorde, Concorde Twos. Yeah, back in the day I guess you'd be at the Concord, you'd be at the Dome, uh maybe Brighton Centre. Um as a side note, I store. must say
0: I'm not a massive fan of a gig at Brighton Centre. Nah, it's I, don't, probably, I I'm probably much die. Yeah, absolutely, it's down. the most
1: soulless place in Brighton, probably. But you to to find that out, you have to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> and of course, you go there, you know, as you're growing up, and like a, an artist you like is playing in Brighton, and you're 18 years old. Of course, you're gonna go to the Brighton Centre, but. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, growing up around here, not so many bands played in Worthing, really, that I wanted to see. Um, so you'd usually be going to Brighton. I think I was a little bit young at the time or too naive to be finding gigs that I wanted to go to in London. But also, I, we used to go to a few music festivals um, back in the day as well. So that used to quench our thirst. What was your favourite music another.
0: festival back then?
1: I used to go to the Isle of Wight Fest. Yeah. Which is kind of rogue. Um, now, I, I don't... I'm not even... Does it even exist? I yeah, know oh, It, it Best of that kind of still, yeah, went Bestable a bit funny, didn't bit... it? Because it came to the mainland. Um, but yeah, Isle of Wight still. Isle of Wight was good. We used to go... I had a friend who had a boat. And every year we used to go over um, on this boat. with his, his dad would drive it and me and my mate and then his older sister and all of her mates. And we used to spend like maybe five days like just before the festival. And then we'd have the weekend and... Um, it was epic, and, you know, we used to be a bit naughty. We used to break into the festival. We used to, like, either wear, like, a Hiver's jacket or say that we were going into the sports centre. One year, we bought ticket one ticket, and then it was a sort of slip-on, slip off on, slip on wow. situation. And we were young, man. We were must have been, like, 15, 16 years old when we were doing this. Was in, this was in high school. Yeah. I remember one year coming, and we saw loads of amazing artists. I must have seen Foo Fighters. I saw Jay-Z. I saw The Prodigy. I saw... Uh, Vampire Weekend, well, who knows, like, who else, like, so many amazing bands, Stereophonics, but we, um, I remember one year I did it, and I came back on a Sunday, I was pissed, <laughs> actually, I saw the King, I saw, I saw Kings of Leon yeah. on the Saturday night, and uh, I, I bumped into my teaching assistant in the crowd, and it was two day- I had my geography GCSE exam on the Monday, and it was a Saturday night, and his name was Chris Bull. And uh, we saw him and I was like looking up at him, he was massive, he was like six foot eight, I must have been about you know five and a half at the time. And he ended up getting me up on his shoulders, <laughs> <laughs> jumping up and down, it was so surreal. And then the next day, like so hungover, heading back on the ferry on my own, because I had to get back to school for my for my uh, geography exam, which I think I think I aced it, I can't remember, but we ended up studying it and doing all right. So uh, I said, you know, people say like, stay in school, kids, uh, <laughs> Enjoy go, life. Yeah, say yes, be a yes person. The, you know, go I mean to the yeah,
0: thinking about my GCSE, my mum and dad were like, Yeah, you know, this is what the school said this is what you should get. Oh, you need to, put, you need to put you need to put your GCSEs, head you man. need to get your head down and crack on and I I got the best results I could get with doing the minimal amount of work. Because Absolutely. I was, I was always the class clown. I was more.
1: <laughs> nah. No, I
0: know, I know. I was so shy. Um, it was more like uh, I was more bothered about making people laugh than I was actually. Uh... Yeah, that's a
1: skill. That's a yeah. skill, man.
0: So then, I I like you know, following the Albion in those days. That was the yes. we'd had the uh, last year at the Withdean yes. getting getting Emotional. promoted, and then the Amex days. They were you know. It was so surreal for guys like you and me who have been to the Withdean for you know ten years solidly, mm-hmm. and it was. Hor- Let's not beat around the bush. Like we we it holds a special place in our heart Withdean, Absolutely. but it was horrendous, really. It but it was a it was like a, a beautiful horrendous. Yeah, beautiful <laughs> horrendous. You know, like when people say their favourite pub is like, this just. Off, like, when you hear people say, oh, my favourite pub's... The Brodie. <laughs> shocking, mate. Yeah. No, my favourite is this little dingy bar in London. Oh, and it, yeah, yeah, the yeah. toilets the overflow. Piss on the There's piss on the floor. There's, like, people doing drugs on the bar, but it's home. That was with for yeah for us. Yeah. You know, you got pissed wet through when it rained. You were so far away from the pitch because of the running track. Yeah, But it was home. It was and home. to move to those... Amex day, the Amex days were fantastic early days and we, I've made note of it, we did Peterborough away together yeah, and I remember it was you and me organising it, we were at college and it was, I think there were maybe nine of us that went up yeah. and Ollie High, a friend of yours, um, he we were like, right, we want to go to Peterborough, it's terracing so that's why we want to go to Peterborough, <laughs> we'll have a great day out, how are we going to get there because it's in Peterborough, Ollie High was like... I know my granddad drives a minibus, he could take us. So he just said to his granddad, Me and my mates want to go watch the Brighton game, would you be able to take us? <laughs> Didn't say where it was. And, we, and his granddad's, as nice as anything, was like, Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, no worries at all, mate. So then like, it came to, I think, the Thursday or Friday night. He said, Oh, what time do you want me picking up to go to the Brighton game? He said, Oh, it's a three o'clock kickoff, so we probably need to leave work about 9 a.m. <laughs> I think his grandad was like, sorry, what? 9am to get to Brighton. He's like, no, the game's in Peterborough. <laughs> so we got a load of beers for the minibus. Got, and to be fair to his granddad, like, legend, legend. just went... Legends. Yeah, right then. <laughs> like, he just didn't... He was like, yeah, right. So we ended up going to be Peterborough. Yeah, and our, do you remember, we were in that town centre and to we get went... to a bar. No, we, we tried to get into a bar, couldn't get in. So then... I think Ollie was eighteen, or he was maybe seventeen, but looked older. Yeah. And we managed. He managed to buy us two crates of beer. Nice quality. We managed to get away Respect. with it somehow. Respect. And And um, I think Brighton won that day. Who uh, was the blonde I... lad? We had. Well, oh. Macau Smith. No, yeah. not Macau Smith. We were,
1: we were playing. I remember in that like yellow and green. Green and strip. black one yeah, was it? Green and black. Sorry, green
0: and black strip. Oh, Torbs. I'll have to look this up. Uh, Torbjorn something. Oh Yeah, Adjastain. No, not Adjastain or something. No, but he was Swedish, blonde. He came on, he just rinsed them for the last 10 minutes. But, like, really, it was a great day out. And I think we ended up back at my mum and dad's after just for beers. I I think we were with Joe West, wasn't it? It was me, you, Steve... Steve Waugh, Jack Fagan, Grafton, Westlake, okay. Ollie High, and Eddie Tozer. Yeah, Tozer was
1: there. Eddie Tozer, Tozer came. There. There's yeah, Facebook photo evidence. Yeah, it's day, a
0: bit. really bad photo <laughs> know, as my well. My hair is so. There's bad. like everyone <laughs> just looks gormless as anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we we before we went on on record, we did speak about. Brighton away games. You're off to Liverpool at the weekend.
1: Off to Liverpool. First the away
0: game since pre-COVID.
1: Yes, very excited.
0: And are you staying in Liverpool for the actually, weekend?
1: That's, that's not true. Actually, I remember post-COVID, I was up in Glasgow for the weekend, and we had a, a friendly away at Rangers, and there were no Brighton fans allowed. And I got, I got, a I got a home ticket. I got a ticket in the home end off of uh, Twitter, and I went on my own. None of my other boys, with all my boys, claim to be Brighton fans. We're in Glasgow. I'm like, I've got tickets here. Who wants one? Nobody came with, so I went on my own and just met some Rangers fans on the uh, on the tube on the way over. And they took me under their wing, took me to the local bar. They were buying us drinks and and all sorts. And uh, yeah, I stood out like a sore thumb. Even when I was in there, people were turning around and being like, "You're on holiday, aren't you?" <laughs> I was like, trying my best to stay disguised. Trying your best was... to to like blend in. But, but this, is, no yeah. Choice. But Liverpool this weekend is going to be my first. Uh, yes it's embarrassing really my first away league or competitive game for, for too long but it, it you know it was, it, it's it's hard to get tickets at the
0: best of times but also the Premier League and trying not to go too much on a tangent they make it so hard to plan your away games because you don't know until a month before whether it's going to be on a Saturday at 3 o'clock or if it's going to be a Friday or a Sunday or a mm-hmm. 12.30 or 5.30 so so hard to rail strikes thrown in there. Well, the rail strike, you know, we solidarity to the IT. Yeah, up, up the unions. Did we ever think we'd get to a point where a Brighton game is called off because the rail, like, because of rail strikes, they're calling off Brighton game. I know that there was also the uni involved, but because it was uni moving in day, so they they didn't yeah, have yeah, any yeah. car parking available, but. You know it the rail strikes from a football fan's point of view the train is the nicest way definitely it's the getting there really it's unparalleled um so you know that's an interesting one so we're we've, we're at about 18 years old right now
1: so then you go to uni <laughs> i went to uni yeah I and went what to, I uni went, i went to university of nottingham up in the midlands Nice. That's great. Oldest, talking a bit, oldest pub in the world in Nottingham. Really? A year old trip to Jerusalem. Okay, nice. It's about like a thousand years old.
0: Supposedly, something. the female to male rate is six to one,
1: or used yeah. to be six to yeah, one. Yeah, and it's called Shot Them, because everybody gets shot all the time. <laughs> yeah.
0: Other than that, great place. It's all these
1: mad myths about it. That's the only reason like, Oh, went.
0: Nottingham. Oh, God. Robin Hood, Robin Hood.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you just like, oh yeah, I just it's, think I will spend it's, all my time yeah. in the Sherwood and Forest. That, and that was yeah, my favorite, my favorite fairy tale. growing yeah. up as a kid, so uh, yeah. You love the Disney adaptation where Robin <laughs> Hood was a fox. <laughs> 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 that was that was a fantastic, was really good yeah, film. film. Yeah, it was a fantastic, yeah, film. really good film. Um, Nottingham, your trip to Jerusalem, old pubs, great city, quite small. I wouldn't say it's like too dissimilar from Brighton. Um, Further from London, um, which is, I think, you know, Brighton's distance. You know, how easy it is to get to the smoke from down here is is a massive plus. They call it London on sea, sometimes, don't they? Well, so
0: many people now, like we've got, as we mentioned him earlier, Chris Popkins as a um, he's an estate agent, and the amount of people, and I've got a few mates are estate agents. The amount of people that are moving down from um london, london to, brighton.
1: to to brighton because yeah. it's uh, expensive and during it, covid lockdown they were like well they're, like they're not they're not go. going,
0: they're not needing in the office five days a week now so you know what's yeah. the point in paying all that money up there when you can get the bang for your buck down here
1: yeah exactly 100 percent. but no, nottingham was great it's actually talking about house prices really cheap to live up there okay i, I remember i was paying 60 pound a week like 200 and what's that Sixty, hundred, twenty, or two hundred and forty a month rent up there. Wow! Yeah, for my second and third year at uni, but um, it was yeah a really beautiful place to live, a really good music culture, right in the heart of the country. So you could get to London easily enough, Birmingham easily enough, and then you could go up to Manchester, Sheffield, and stuff. So um, yeah, a really cool place to be. Really young. I think they had like three uni, two universities, but so I think they had Nottingham a Trent and
0: University of Nottingham. Yeah, Trent,
1: it? which is actually like embedded into the city, which I think is probably a nicer way to be because you know you sort of feel like you're part of it more because sometimes when you're in a, on a campus university you, you feel like you're in a bit of a bubble you know separated from the outside world and it can be a bit of a egotistic pretentious bubble depending on what university you're at so i think um i think trent has is it's got a nicer sort of uh, layout in the way that it's sort of integrated into the fabric of the city but yeah uni have had a beautiful campus we had a lake we had like these big rolling hills called the, the Downs. So yep. it was like home away from home. It was home from home. Um, and yeah, it was, it was it was a beautiful time and met lots of great people and it was cool to sort of be in a different part of the country, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like, I think sometimes you almost
0: need to make that little bit step further because then it's not as easy to go to your comfort of home. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you, sometimes there will... I can't talk. I've stayed in Worthing for most of my life never went to uni just went straight into a family job but you you find it from people you talk to that being that bit further when it gets a bit tough and you've got to just sort of dig your heels in and go yeah I can do this rather than I'm an hour and a half away from home I'll go home for the weekend and I'm sure you made great friends from uni that you're still in contact with now people people always seem to with when it comes to uni of course. um what was the drinking culture like at university because obviously uni has that again we talk about people drink a lot uni has that your first year your freshers is mental it's you know most people go well a lot of people go for the degree some people go for the experience and do a nothing degree just so they can you know I've had mates who have literally openly said that to me, that they went to uni just so that they could have for three years of deciding what they want to do mm-hmm. whilst getting a degree. Yeah. Um, so how was it for you from that side of things? Well, from a going-out point from of view. From a going-out point of view. Did you find yourself great.
1: going to...? Yeah, I went out probably more than I ever have done in my life, potentially, I would guess so. Um, first year is stereotypically you know more trashy you sort of don't really know the good places to go in the city so you just kind of get swept up you in ride the wave freshest exactly you ride the wave you get swept up in freshest culture you've got reps and there's like you know a cheap entry here or whatever and student nights and you're just sort of like throwing yourself into the thick of it because that's what you have to do when you get there you go, just put yourself out there you can't be too picky you want to meet people uh show your face and and have a good time so it was like you know there was two main club nights uh, like student nights. There's one called Crisis at Rock City, which is actually a great venue. So, so bands play there as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock City's got a lot of really. I saw some some awesome bands at Rock City, and just had some like historically some really big bands play there. Um, and then, uh, so that was Crisis, and then there was another one called uh, Ocean which was, yeah, I think the whole venue was called Oceana. There was an Oceana as well, or, or whatever. <laughs> and, and and they were great, you know, like first year, just so you don't have to think about it, you turn up. The queues were always way too big, I mean... I'm gonna use this moment of anybody listening to to me to condemn cues. Cues <laughs> get a big thumbs down for me, man. I can't stand. Get rid of
0: cues. Might be British. Elliot Walshop
1: says, get rid get of cues. Get rid of them. Put them in the bin. I can't stand them, especially getting into a club, especially like or a bar in the winter, man. Like in the British winter, it's not good. It's not fun. But anyway, um, so that was good. But then second year, third year, it was definitely more of the sort of the house party era came into its because
0: own. Because I suppose you then go out from halls and end exactly. up in, in sort
1: of university student housing. The best house parties I've probably ever been to. Some of them weren't great, but others, I mean, you know, some of them you can't move. You're in the hallway, you're stuck to the wall, trying to like squeeze through and amazing fancy dress parties and just like it silly uh people doing silly things (laughs) as you find at university or college if you're listening from across the pond um so yeah and and also you know you get to understand yourself a bit more you get to find your circles which you know who, who you vibrate at the same frequency with and you end up finding the right you know, local club nights or bars or music venues and you start going to gigs more and you start living more like a local and making your own decisions, you you become like, you get a little bit more agency. Whereas like you said in the first you're just riding that wave.
0: Yeah, like, and I suppose from that point of view, you've been there, you've done it. You get to see what's good, what's not, what you prefer, what you don't prefer. And you might find that actually... I'm not going to go that club night, because I'd rather go to that very small night, but it's an indie night, and that's more what I'm
1: into, and, you know, or there's a great DJ on at that bar. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, man. You just do what you want to do, and you're not so really, like, bothered about, you know, what everybody else is doing. You just sort of do what you want, which is what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, so
0: then you you finish uni, and then did did you go straight into travelling?
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I had, like, six months back here. Yeah. Doing a little bit of this, doing a little bit of that um earn a bit of money for the traveling trip and um, yeah just, yeah kind of earned a bit of money i guess you could say that <laughs> um yeah i ended up doing a few different jobs i worked in like quantity surveying for a little bit i worked for greenpeace for a bit i might have done a bit of teaching um and then yeah dipped into hanoi uh, yeah which is the capital of vietnam i i'd already done like a TEFL degree. Yeah. So when I was eighteen, so that's my, my, teaching my, English, foreign language. Yeah. yeah. So Tefl is te- as a foreign language, and te- Tes always stands for something, another acronym, but it's the same thing. Um, so went out. I just wanted to, you know, I think especially because I studied geography, I wanted to see the world. You know, you've been reading about it from a book, mm. and I wanted to go and actually like experience it. Because you know, at university, you talk about the world as if as if you fucking know yeah. it. You don't. Um, so I just wanted to see something basically as different to what I knew as possible So I chose vietnam and I knew that you could do a bit of teaching out there and that there were opportunities and I might be able to get out my overdraft and at the same time have have a fun time so I just got a one-way ticket over there with my partner at the time and uh Yeah, we got a place. We got a beautiful apartment on the lake in tai ho and I was doing I actually ended up doing some marketing when I first got out there for like some eco-tourist uh, uh resorts and uh, cruises and whatever and um, mostly I went out there to yeah experience something different and also to try and throw myself into working in environment in one way or another or sustainability or climate in one way or another because it was difficult to get cool or any sort of climate or Mm. sustainability focused jobs in the UK unless you work for Greenpeace or, you know, signing Facebook petitions. But I mean, you know, you can't really make a living out of either of them and the opportunities were limited. And so I just thought if you went out to somewhere completely new and just approached it from a completely different angle, there'd be different opportunities and cost of living's cheaper, so you don't have to, you know, work Monday to Friday, nine to five and burn yourself into the ground in order to make a living, but you can work a little bit less than that, get by and then spend your time like volunteering doing whatever it is that you love whether that's pursuing a career that you dream of or doing something creative that you're passionate about now
0: like Vietnam is on my list to do I want to do it I I, you know I'll never do the traveling kind of thing because I've gone straight into work and whatever but you know seeing snapshots of it is on my now it looks like it's busy but do you find that it's Mental in front of
1: you, but it's a relaxed way of living? Nope, it is mental. Is it mental all the time? (laughs) It's mad. Well, it depends where you are. Like, I I remember the first day I got off the bus in the old quarter in, like, the centre of the city. Yeah. And I was walking to my hostel. I've got the video on my phone to this day, and I was just, like, walking down the street, just, like, recording everything, because every single thing you saw shocked you. You'd never seen anything like it in your life. I couldn't believe what people were doing and how they were moving and you know whether it's the crazy shit that they're transporting on the back of their bikes or the way that bikes are sort of like you know there was no coherence or order with regards to the direction that people are driving highway on codes and you, got, and you got like ducks in the road and buffaloes in the road and people on the side of the streets like you know like slaughtering chickens and you know just moving s- crazy stuff i mean the whole thing was just mind bending mm-hmm. you got and everyone's beeping not in not in an aggressive way that over here someone beeps you know well, well down um, there yeah. but over there it's more like watch out I'm behind you don't kill me um but it, it is mad but then you do of course you get pockets that are, are really calm and really tranquil and it's just about finding them and there's definitely something for everyone however it, I mean look it is a mega city it's one of the most polluted cities in the world and if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and and you don't like people <laughs> you're probably not gonna vibe but um nah, it is a very magical place The people were incredibly wonderful um and it's like you know from an urban point of view it's probably the most freedom that I've ever experienced just given how I mean you, you experience white white privilege out there. Um definitely you do get treated differently and you get different opportunities just because of the colour of your skin and if you speak English natively. Um and uh, but but yeah man, it's it's a really beautiful place. Like I say, you don't have to work Monday to Friday, nine to five to get by. You can work a little bit and and just and get a motorbike rent one for 20 dollars a month and wow. ride around on a motorbike <laughs> with your friends and you just meeting new people and playing like i say you just do things you love like you can volunteer i played so much music when i was out there uh, got experience i set up a marketing agency i was working for an environmental not-for-profit i was working i got marketing experience at these like i mentioned the um ecotourism companies and uh, yeah you can save up money and, and go traveling and and just you know be yourself for a little bit perfect
0: and like quickly going on back to the te- teaching english part of it was that like re- was that the most rewarding thing you've ever done cuz your video with your little class doing staying alive that <laughs> i like if
1: i need cheering <laughs> up i'll just watch that like me too yeah oh man it was like, one of the greatest jobs ever i mean some of it was quite you know monotonous and you'd be just sort of being like a a apple you know if you're teaching the really little kids um i taught at military university i taught privately i taught at summer camps i taught grade ones to four public school whatever it was i did a bit of everything but um incredibly rewarding it's amazing like you walk into a school some you know in, in some of the provinces these kids have never seen you know, a Western person before, and you walk there, and like you got like two hundred kids like screaming, teacher, teacher. <laughs> just, like, on, you know that uh, scene in like uh, Shaun of the Dead where that guy gets like, at the end pulled out of the Winchester, and his clothes are getting like ripped, <laughs> and his arm they're all pulling at his guts. It's kind of like that. That That's honestly, you. you they're like pulling, you ripping your shirt, and you got all these like grubby little hand marks <laughs> on yourself, and then they're like. Usher you into a little building so that the men and women like you know are sit in different uh, areas like the staff sit in different. So I'm with like the caretakers because most of the teachers are female. And so uh, does that go on out there then? So it's like, quite segregated. Not really. I don't know why. Yeah, a little bit. Actually, like thinking about it now, like some of the spaces that I worked was just like yeah, all all women and just myself, but. it was yeah so you, you, we're boy. I'm sitting on like a case of beer this is a school I'm sitting <laughs> on like, a case of beer in this like little hut and like they were like smoking like these cigarettes called Tang Long and I like, passed me a cigarette I'm like okay and all these kids are like trying to get through the bars <laughs> just the to windows. see you yeah we had hundreds of them it was mad and we used to play football and stuff but yeah it was it was really rewarding um, really beautiful and yeah I, I loved it you know I think everybody should do that you get to connect on a bit of a different level and yeah, yeah it you know, makes you a little bit human
0: massively rewarding as well and so quickly you've mentioned that you're sat on a case of beer like on your travels favorite beer
1: i love the hanoi beer just okay. because of the brand yeah i lived in hanoi so represent um i lived in costa rica for a bit and you had really good beers i worked in a beautiful eco hostel the most unreal place in the whole entire world uh Flutterby by house in uvita on the west coast southwest coast of costa rica like magic um and I've worked at a hostel for three months serving these beers and at the end I did a taste test and I couldn't even taste the difference between them. <laughs> <laughs> but a shout out. Um, but yeah, also another beer to shout out was uh, Beer Hoy. If you're in Vietnam, Beer Hoi is like you get it on the side of the street. Um or if you go to a cafe or whatever, you sit down on these little plastic stools and this little table and Hoi and they they take this like these like really like impurified glasses and they're quite thick and they've got all these like bubbles in them and they fill them up and put them down on your table. And every time they put one down, they do a little, there's a piece of paper on your table and they do a little like tally. And as soon as you're halfway through your your beer, they put another one down on the table for you, and they do another, do tally. another tally. So they, before you don't even get to ask for your beer, they put they're putting the tally next you up one. And they're it's the cheapest beer in the world. I was going to say, what's like yeah, the, in England? Like, how much? Like I think they're like eight p. Wow,
0: yeah. I'd have a very yeah, cheap one. you'd love it. The food's amazing as well. I think I need to get it done. I think you we're do, looking yeah. at going to Japan, but Vietnam's uh, got to be on the list at some point. Um, so then you finish traveling, come back to England um and then is that when you then went back to uni sussex this time yeah pretty
1: much so it was um i came back from southeast asia and then i had like a month back in the uk what happened was and then and then i went to central america for a while um in vietnam i thought it was amazing i lived in the city it was incredible but like i said i wanted to see what i've been learning about at at school in college whatever and We were in the tropics, Southeast Asia, you know, like native to there. You've got elephants, you've got rhinos, you've got uh, lions, you've got tigers, you've got bears, you've got snakes, you've got different types of monkeys. What, you know, when I was there, I didn't see any, I saw one (laughs) thing. It was like, ecologically, the country's been obliterated for many different reasons. The most significant one being Agent Orange during the Vietnamese War. Um... But um, yeah, I didn't see like any of that sort of biodiversity that I really really wanted to see. So I came back to the, I saved up some money, um, and then came back to the UK for a month, and then I went out to Costa Rica, uh, and yeah, I was in, I was in Costa Rica for three months and Veresa Central America for a couple of months more, like just living like in the jungle basically, and mate, it was paradise paradise you saw everything like you know you used to go surfing or you used to like okay you used to like i was at a wicked hostel man it was like so cool like hammocks tree houses free bananas amazing food good wi-fi as well but like super <laughs> great remote. wi-fi yeah. <laughs> shout out to wi-fi um and you like you know mango trees everywhere and you know you used to have like coconuts everywhere and whatnot but really beautiful people passing through most of them from north america um it was international but 5 minute walk to the beach and you'd like pack your bag and you'd put some beers in your bag and you'd grab a surfboard and you'd take a djembe and maybe you'd take a guitar football frisbee and you just like go to the beach and that be and you for the day be there you'd be there for the day and like you are with all these amazing tourists and you're working at the hostel as well so like everyone's like coming through and are buying you beers and you know they want to be around um and it was like honestly mate it was super and you'd be surfing You'd be riding waves, and there'd be sharks riding the same waves as you, yeah. But like in the reef sharks and not like oh, yeah, so not, not not like great whites, <laughs> not dangerous. Um, but ones. you had like you know, in the trees, not only did you have monkeys, you had different species of monkeys, you had sloths in the trees, you'd see pythons, you'd see um toucans, macaws, and that's just on you, and that's on your dogs, on your, that's commute. your every day, that's your every day. You had turtles crossing the roads, um, yeah, it was.
0: Could you, do, could you live there? Ah, yes, you that's could live I'm
1: going to continue working in the climate movement. And then once I know we've gone past tipping points of no return and we have irreversibly destroyed the planet, <laughs> I'm, then I'm going to move to the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Move to the jungle. I'll keep sorted. on working whilst it's home. Yeah. Like... <laughs> um, so then you end up back at Sussex
0: Uni. Yeah,
1: I came back. Yeah. Um, and that was doing a Masters, was it? Yeah, so I did a Masters in Development. The course name is a bit of a mouthful it was called Us. power yeah. participation and social change nice yeah so it's like post-development um, so I've been working in the climate movement when I came back to the UK the Christmas before before I went to Central America I um, heard of a group who like declared rebellion on the government this turned out to be XR I went along and whilst I was in Central America I was working like, online for XR I was like coordinating their global Instagram account uh, from the jungle it was mad <laughs> uh, like honestly like, it was mad and, and then you know and at the time we were like bursting through like, you know 100 followers 500 wow 1000 okay 10,000 followers oh, XR went massive 100,000 followers oh my god then 500,000 followers and I was like oh my days and you know they're like, shutting down London and you know government declaring the climate crisis a climate emergency and I was like wow you know, this is actually we're actually seeing something because there hadn't been a climate movement before and I think the rationale for it as well is that you know, we know that we need to become more sustainable, but not only are we moving in the opposite direction, we're accelerating in the opposite mm. direction. So traditional means of trying to create change, like writing a letter to an MP or signing a Facebook petition, don't work. So then if you look back through history, how can you create change? You've got to take it to the streets. You know, we wouldn't have uh, women's rights in this country without people taking to the streets. You know, we probably wouldn't have weekends. We wouldn't have a, a living wage or a minimum wage. Um so you know and there wouldn't be like racial justice wouldn't exist in this country for example without it and you know brighton might not have the amex without no. it. My, my first my first experience of demonstrating was to to get the war john prescott, yeah, the john walk prescott on the beach. listen to the people mr prescott yeah. so so i think you know it was interesting trying to see like this sort of new this new manifestation within the climate movement and trying to support it and, and seeing what happened and and you know Exile's not perfect But no organisation's perfect No person's perfect No movement's perfect Um, And obviously It it sort of like Counters uh, A lot of the interests Of mainstream media So of course They're trying to criminalise it You know As much as they can Or to portray it as As you know It's very Being difficult Yeah Like um... these radical Crazy hippies Whatever And uh, there's an element of that Within the climate movement But there's a lot of scientists There's a lot of parents Teachers Mums Lawyers Doctors in it Um but um yeah so i was in that and then i wanted to understand how to grow the climate movement how to diversify it but how to increase participation how to make it more accessible um how to make it more relatable so i went back to uni to um to do my masters focusing on social movements uh to basically contextualize my experience of you know working as i guess an activist in some ways but to ground that in academia, and to reflect on that experience, to then sort of, I guess, like propel that and and see where it would go. Yeah. Ah, oh, well, so then that leads
0: us perfectly, really, into what I've called the main event. Yeah. Football for future. So this is your. Are you the the company man? Are you
1: the the company man? Are you the top? Are Business you the man. top dog? Top, top dog. Nah, we. So there's not such a. I mean, we're not a a business we do operate in some ways like a business but we're a not-for-profit and we're becoming a charity um i so at the top you've got the board of trustees yeah and then below that so they're more governance and at an operational level so i'm a co-director with uh, a good friend called Barney, who's brilliant shout out to barney um but yeah he does more sort of communications and operations and i guess i do more of the sort of uh, partnerships, um, I guess, like training, uh, education stuff. Um, but we do do a bit of everything. But yeah, Barney and I, from an operational level, are, are co-directors.
0: Okay, so let's go back to the start then, the early days. So, how did, where did the idea of football for future come from? You talk, you've <laughs> mentioned a minute ago, obviously that you know you want, you
1: look at the climate issues and you know what brought it around for you so for me like i said i specialize in in movement building my dissertation for my undergrad was focused on social movements and then i worked in movements and then did it again for my master's and um i wanted to like i say make it as accessible as possible i was going to a climate demo once and i was like you know it was interesting. I was on the street. And being on the street sucks, by the way. Like, you know, you maybe have to take time off work and it's fucking cold and people might get arrested. And it's not easy, but people do it as a sacrifice. People get annoyed at you as well. Yeah, people get annoyed. Yeah, exactly, man. It's really not, like, the nicest... There's, there's many beautiful elements of it, but it's not, you know... People don't want to have to be on the streets but they do it because it's like, fuck, you know, the government aren't acting fast enough on this issue. I guess I'm going to have to do this even though I don't want to. But, um, you know, I was on the street and I think maybe at this, maybe it was this weekend, I, I was like, leaving and I, I put on a Brighton shirt. And as I was leaving the door, I wrote Brighton fans for climate justice on the back of a pizza box. <laughs> and I took that with me and I had many mums over the course of the weekend come up to me and say, excuse me, can I take your picture? Cause my little boy or my son, you know, he's a big Brighton fan, but he doesn't think it's cool to care about the planet. Or, you know, he doesn't think it's cool, you know what wow. I mean, And this happened like once. And then over the course of the weekend, this happened more than 10 times um like so many people just ask and i was like wow it's amazing how you can bring these identities together and, and also i was thinking i've got so many you know, intelligent friends who understand the extent of the climate crisis but they're not here with me they're not here no. on the street this weekend so how can i how can the movement evolve to be more inclusive and more accessible um so that even my mates so i know would be here if it was something which was you know easier to participate in and, and relate to um what what would that future of the climate movement look like and it's just diversification. I think that sort of football element, and when when I was, that opened my eyes a little bit. That was a bit of a light bulb moment. And when I was at uh, uni for my masters, all I wrote about was football and politics. Um, at the time, there was all the stuff happening with BLM, so there was this really big sort of collision of football and politics. And people who were like, "Oh, keep football, keep politics out of football," they don't realise that polit- football's already saturated with politics. And if you can't see that, then you're blind to it. The fact that we, you know, even like. Whether it's for sponsorships or whether it's uh you know, the contracts or whether it's people singing God Save the Queen at the beginning of game that's political in itself for I mean, yeah. being there and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that's political you know so politics has already already exists in football, so and, and so it's not like they keep it out of it it's just like let's keep the politics that we already have but we know football's not perfect and, and it can change for the better and everybody who's involved but. So the, the BLM stuff was happening in football, which was really interesting. And then also Marcus Rashford, which for me was incredibly inspiring. It was like a very novel type of athlete activism where a professional footballer who was performing for club and country basically like, you know, took the government to the... To the to, Said, yeah. To, uh, he, held them ac- he
0: held them accountable. Didn't spoke he? Like,
1: truth to power, really focused message at a time when, you know, sometimes our government here in the UK do things and you're like, is this actually true or is this, is this something out of, like, is a satire? The thick of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, like, and sometimes you can't believe it. Politics has been it, but, the thick of it. But, but, but it's brilliant to have somebody who was, like, a, you know, a national sweetheart just, you know, hold the government to account for something like that and, you know, get the government to do U-turns. And then, you know, then he's on the cover of Vogue. And then, you know, everybody in the country is, like... It supports him because no, of, of so, yeah, course yeah, nobody yeah. wants to see starving children during a pandemic like it's absolutely ridiculous and it show that footballers can use their platforms and also perform on, on the pitch as well which I think was, was really important to see um, so I was writing about that a lot and I thought you know football's been an amazing vehicle to champion racial justice in the past and today it's been an amazing vehicle to talk about gender equality and there's still a lot of you know there's still a long way for that conversation to come being a great vehicle for people to talk about LGBT justice to talk about food poverty but why not climate like there was like this massive deafening silence it,
0: it, it, yeah it was almost like uh, the elephant in the room a which silence. if climate cha- if climate doesn't change there won't be any elephants to be in the room <laughs> 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 but well, but it was God. yeah I you know there's 92 professional football teams there's hundreds, thousands of non-professional football teams, yeah. and yet there's one who we mentioned on the way here, Forest Green Rovers, are the only ones looking to make a change.
1: No, there, there's more now. Well, there's, there, there's more clubs. now, but they're the only ones who... They almost were the, the, the start then. Yeah, they were definitely from a professional club in the UK point of view. They were the, the trailblazers, absolutely. And they, and they do remain that, but there's loads of other clubs now who are doing bits of well, bobs, some better than others. Um, we can go into that, but if anybody has more questions, then maybe drop into my uh, DMs. <laughs> drop into Elliot's but So, yeah, so you start Football for Future. So what
0: sort of, you know, to the point of however much you want to talk about, it, what sort of
1: work have you done with it? What's your... Yeah, yeah. So, so we want Football for Future to become the home of sustainability in football. Um, we sort of see it as the kicker out of sustainability, and that's what we call it to make it a little bit more relatable and understandable. We want to become, yeah, the, the home of sustainability. We want to be able to, um, you know, we see ourselves as sport leaders. We see ourselves as being unique in that we're a football brand, but that we're also, you know, we've got climate scientists and sustainability experts on the team. So we come, you know, we're not just like sustainability consultants coming into football being like, we're going to charge you as much money as this we can. What we're yeah. Do, yeah. It's like, no, we put football first. So first and foremost, you know, um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing. We say that we want to build a more environmentally sustainable culture in football. So then it includes everyone, whether you're a broadcaster or whether you're a burger man, whether you're a professional player, or whether you're a fan, it doesn't really matter. Everybody, you know, has some type of responsibility to become more sustainable and everybody has a unique position of power. You know, everybody, you know it's like football, you know, we talk about teamwork, we talk about accountability, like all of these sort of non-negotiable values that we have in football can also be applied to climate. I also think that from its foot, you know, nothing in the world is more important than protecting the planet and no social phenomenon is more powerful than football and football has this pretty much unparalleled potential to be able to drive a sustainable transition that we know we need to see in line with, you know, the scientific consensus to meet targets to avoid us going past tipping points of no return whereby we will irreversibly see the destruction and collapse of these climate systems which keep us alive. And life on this planet you know uh, going so um, you know people talk about 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and we have to keep it below that now people are talking about two but we really don't want to be going past 1.5 and it's very unlikely that we're gonna be able to do that so we're, we're in a big pickle and that's just from a climate point of view if you know, that's just you know I mean, let alone nobody's talking about you know, mass extinction events and all this sort of stuff which is also incredibly scary and these things all interconnect with each other but this is a global issue and nothing in the world has more of a global reach than football so that's why it's it's such a powerful thing you taught english
0: but you taught english in vietnam but you know let's i went to a festival in in spain you would have done it in vietnam when you're traveling football is a language Mm -hmm. you i was wearing a brighton shirt and spanish people were coming up to me going Look at because it was a retro Brighton show. It was the blue and black Santex one. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. wearing that, and I've got Spanish people coming up to me to look at it and going, "We know Brighton yeah, because yeah. the Premier League is a global thing. Mm-hmm. The Premier League Brighton games have been changed, kickoff times from a Saturday to a Sunday, to not be on TV, but because the Premier League are having an event in Mumbai. Yeah. There's a Premier League event. It's a global thing. Football is a language. Mm-hmm. So if we like you say, you, you want to get sustainability in the forefront of people's minds. Well, football is something that's in the forefront of people's minds a lot. Absolutely. Pe- some, you know, we're down here, down south. Football is big for us, but it's probably not the be all or end all. Exactly. But you know, places like you look at the fans at Newcastle, mm-hmm. and their human rights issues with their owners, whatever. That's a conversation for another day. But Newcastle fans, if Newcastle lose, the city is
1: upset for a week. Yeah. If Brighton lose, the city's you upset see Sunderland for until I die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the like, beginning where they're in the church and they're saying their prayers and he's like praying to God that Sunderland win this weekend. You know? yeah. like, it's it's like, insane. It's you a know, religion. It's tribal.
0: The whole, it's more than life or death. It For some people, it is their fully their life. They live and breathe it. So I think looking at from a sustainability say football is
1: a global thing I and that's a way of getting it out there i always say that football has you know pretty immense financial capital but the cultural capital of the game is unparalleled there's never been anything like that people talk about you know how powerful legacy media organizations are and all this sort of stuff like facebook ads and the most powerful media organizations in the world are Ronaldo's Instagram account, <laughs> M- Mbappe's Instagram account. You know what I mean? Like, it's insane. Uh, these athletes have platforms which are just... You struggle to wrap your head around the influence of these individuals having, you know, uh, one 14th or a 10th of the global population following them. Um, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, I think it also... The most powerful thing that football can do is it has this opportunity to redefine sustainability culture because we're stuck in this paradigm where everyone's like oh to become sustainable and to care about the planet you have to be a greenie who doesn't cut their hair who smells like what's they call it petunia oil (laughs) um uh who you know loves Greta Thunberg and who whatever like who's a vegan and all this sort of stuff it's not about that at all it's just you know being like you know you can just be a normal person care about the planet you don't have to come out the closet to say that you care about the planet yeah and it's not you know
0: inevitably if you you're not saying to people you need to go and change fully at the moment but even if you
1: make small changes you're, you're doing something exactly it's not about being perfect I think anybody who has that sort of like you know perfection to or this idea that to become a to care about the planet you have to be perfect, you have to be vegan, you gotta be zero plastic. Sorry, the the that's the Finden village bus. <laughs> um, it's it's they they're living in Cuckoo land. It's you know, we always say that it's not about being perfect. You know, we're all on the same team for this one and like I say, everyone's got a role to play. Holding people to account for being perfect—it's like you know—that's it's impossible. No one's going to join the climate movement if, if that's what it is. And I used to be stuck in this, being like, you know, I was never vegan. I was like a veggie, and I was like not flying. I was trying to avoid plastic, and like, that is really important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not about individual change. That this this like neoliberal idea that the the responsibility of solving the climate crisis relies on the shoulders of you, Sam. <laughs> you know, you got to turn off the tap when you brush your teeth, and and you know, make sure that you turn off the light when you're going to be asking bedroom. people to turn the tap on when yeah. it comes to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know and, and it's not about that and I think you know we all get very much caught up in talking about our own carbon footprints and all that sort of stuff but it's about holding power you know powerful institutions to account because the world's not going to be saved by you know, by me buying an electric car, it's, it's not it's it's not what it's about. It's not about being perfect. It's just about appreciating that we're in a bit of a pickle and that we need to do something. And you know, saying, "All right, let's try and fix up our," you know, "let's try and fix." Up try our and make act. make
0: better decisions now, so that we aren't yeah, having to exactly to make those make drastic changes to try and claw back when, as you've mentioned before, like if we go past that tipping point. So we, you know, we we'll, we'll move on a little bit with the football for future. What are you have got any big plans in the future? For, have you got anything coming up? Anything huge?
1: <laughs> is it is it all top secret? It's no. Well, um, uh, nothing's top secret. I mean, look, we we've got ambitions. I mean, we believe in ourselves. We believe in our services. Um, I'll do a quick quick plug for football for future before I quick before I start talking about what our ambitions are. So we. You know we support stakeholders across the football ecosystem with the tools and knowledge that they need to react to the changing natural environment and business environments around them because business is, is moving as well with in response to climate change but we focus on social change and attitudes and education and we deliver training for football industry professionals whether these people work for clubs or whether they work for county fas broadcasters football media organizations education for young people academy players foundations we do our own research and reporting and we support players to talk about climate change so this is all around raising awareness breaking the echo chamber and then we also focus on the other part of what we do is that all about sort of the implementation of sustainable operations at business level in football so that's more like basically sustainability consultancy so that could be for a federation with different clubs at different levels um that could be like
0: going to the premier league and saying you need to look yeah. at bringing in a role that every club has to serve yeah, beer and exactly. paper cups or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so
1: you could have, like, sort of, like, sustainability, you know, CQso like, club quality standards, so you could bring in, like, sustainability standards that, I mean, this is going to happen. I mean, it's in, it's enshrined in UK law that, I, uh, you know, we're going to be, carbon I think neutral by 2040 or whatever it is all governments are bringing in these climate targets all businesses are gonna have to adapt anyway the Premier League are already doing stuff and a lot of clubs are already doing stuff but Um, you know we'd love to have a partnership with the premier league for whether it's supporting their educating their academy players or from a comms point of view or whatever 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 you can do whatever it it would be i mean from a club sustainability consultancy point of view you know we're working club by club at the moment anyway but i think as as a charity who understands football culture um, and who is underpinned by peer-reviewed climate science and sustainability expertise i think would be a good fit for it you know they have different charity partners in different sectors and i don't believe that they have one in climate yet but you know we're looking to we want to be able to support the biggest clubs in the world with their sustainability strategies we want to be able to support and, and the smallest clubs in the world we have a, a network of volunteers who work with non league clubs at the moment so it's all about representation we're not just going for the big dogs we're also you know let's think about football at the grassroots level at the non at the non league level uh, you know play i want to be able to support the the most famous and influential football players in the world who care about climate change to use their platforms to talk about this with confidence um we've got a project coming up at the world cup this winter nice um delivering some education workshops we want to be working with the biggest broadcasters in the world we want to be working with the biggest brands in the world yeah we want to work with the premier league but i want to work with all the biggest federations in the world whether they're whether that's uefa whether that's fifa whether it's a federation that doesn't exist yet whether it's it doesn't really matter, you know. All if you all say that you want to work at the Euro- European Super League, episode's done. Episodes <laughs> done with the ESL. Um, no, nah, but, you know, look, and, and that, that also touches on a really interesting point, which I'll bring it up anyway, because people usually like to say, you know, so would you work at the European Super League? Would you work with Newcastle? Are you going to really go to Qatar? We don't have time to say that we're not going to work with people. We don't, we don't, I don't, because if we don't work with them, what are they going to do? And that's not going to solve the climate crisis. You know, the
0: the Newcastle thing, I touched on it earlier about their human rights issue. You know, at the end of the day, they're owned by the Saudi Arabians who have got horrendous human rights. But what's worse, leaving them just to do it and go, I'm not going near them, and then they just carry on their life, or you going in and going, I don't agree with it. But yeah. at the same time, I'd rather yeah. tell let's people what they should.
1: Let's, let, let's help you. Let's support you. you know, we want to empower stakeholders all across football, like I say, with the tools that they need and the knowledge that they need and the skills that they need. So we don't you know, the climate movement. We don't have time to start cancelling people. No. Unless they're actively greenwashing, unless they're actively just purposely destroying the planet whilst they're saying, look, we're not destroying it, we're carving this. and, you know, In, in which case, when you've, then you've got a problem. But, I mean... We don't we don't have time to cancel we have to work with everyone we've got to dance with the system and support everybody to to become better because maybe they don't know how to but mate hero so so from
0: from a football for future point of view things are things are looking good well,
1: I just told you my ambitions
0: maybe none of that's ever gonna happen mate <laughs> I if if anything I can say I'm sure it will do so we'll quickly move on from there um and just touch on you worked at glastonbury this summer you dropped that into conversation
1: yeah yeah we were at Glasgow this summer yeah my first camping festival since 2017 which was also Glasgow, but obviously covid uh, okay. and well me being on the other side of the world for a couple of years um you know it was difficult to go to festivals when then when i came back shut down for what two years no festivals or something like that um so yeah, Glasto this summer yeah
0: and you worked the bars did you
1: we worked at the bar. So so how does that
0: work? So are you just working, bar,
1: or is it you work X amount of hours, then you can go do what you want for X amount of hours? Yeah, pretty much. I think it depends who you end up volunteering with. Um, it was, like, super magical, like it is, you know, it's like the biggest playground in the world for adults. And, um, yeah, so you have to work a certain amount of hours. And I was at, I was at a bar with Stonebridge. And then you get, obviously, the rest of your time off. Well, mate, it was so wicked. Like, even on our first night, Oh man, we saw like, some of the, my favorite DJs. We saw Fatboy Slim, we had Fortet, we had Eats Everything, we had Dan Shake, we had Hi, um, you know, we had Joe Goddard from Fortet, uh, from uh, uh, Joe, Joe Goddard is from, uh, <laughs> can't remember, but shout out Joe. Shout out Joe Goddard, <laughs> google <laughs> him. Um But it was amazing, we were in like a really. Awesome tent, um, and we were just uh, seeing like my favorite artists whilst we were working at the bar, like serving my mates and stuff. It was it was incredible, um, but the funny part of the story with Blasters, we got kicked out, got our bands cut off on a Sunday before before Kendrick. No, <laughs> because because we were drinking on the bar, which is a joke because everyone was drinking on the bar. I think I think they basically have to like choose like some sacrifices to I have face. to make, so make an, an a, example example say we've got a zero tolerance policy um but yeah it was terrible like, we were absolutely devastated um which means we can't go back next year to do the same voluntary oh gig, no to do the same voluntary gig we lost our deposits and that and then oh, i was missing kendrick i was like absolutely devastated but we um oh man like, the woman who kicked us out as well she just wasn't having any of it i was like you know we're working at a bar we're at glasto you know what I mean what do you like, expect on. so she cuts off our wristbands and like gets security to march us down with pack up and no one can believe it everyone we're camping around is hugging it out we're giving everyone our booze that we've got left over we're swapping contact details even the security there they're like shedding, shedding the tear being like I can't believe we're kicking these guys out um, anyway we ended up sneaking back into the festival <laughs> I can't say how it happened on here. It's off the record, off the record. for now. You can tell me after I'll tell you record. after the podcast. But, um, yeah, so we got back in. Wow. No wristbands on and, uh, yeah, got to see, you can, got to see go, Kendrick. You got to see Kendrick. Kendrick and uh, Diana the, Ross and Diana Ross. All's
0: where the ends were then. So we'll just move on to the, like, the Q&A. Like, we'll wrap this up for for the listeners. You've, as I said at the top of the pod, you are the most passionate speaker ever and you've lived up ever. to that. <laughs> You've just absolutely waxed lyrical, so you can only go to one pub for the rest of your life. Where and why? So if you, the so the gu- gun because the, the man gun
1: ladies listening. <laughs> that, <laughs> definitely begun, definitely begun. the gun. Definitely the like, gun. The gun is your spiritual it's like a, home. It's like a football team, isn't it? Like once yeah. you sort of like brought up there, you can't change. Yeah. Fair,
0: yeah, I like. Do you know you're the first one to say that, but I I do agree with that. Uh, favorite drink. Beer. But like, is there a specific, <laughs> if you, like, you've nah, gone for I a don't. neck oil today. Yeah. I, I had mean, a neck do, oil last
1: night, so I it, went for an Australia today. i been getting like, more into Ales, but I, am. Um, if, if you were I like... Enjoy, I, you know what, I just enjoy a lager, to be perfectly just honest. Just any. Just give me a lager, yeah. To be fair, it's like, you have, you have the ones that you go for, but they Ales are taste the same, they're me and I don't have a clue.
0: Biggest night out you can remember?
1: Something that really sticks in I your f- mind? The I, one that you I, go, I, if I could relive it? oh if I could relive it probably any like Friday or Saturday night at any festival ever <laughs> but a, a ridiculous one I woke up in coast um, yeah once a couple of maybe maybe about four years ago I just came back from Vietnam I was probably jet lagged and I woke up and I was locked inside the venue I'd fallen asleep in the kitchen <laughs> yeah. wow went there for a drink and, and yeah that was uh, yeah I, I woke up on the counter in the kitchen but. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favourite ever bar crawl we had a campus 14 at uni which was there were 14 bars on campus or places where you could get booze and then you were meant to do with them and then swim across the lake and they basically re rejigged the opening times of the closing times of the bars so that you couldn't actually do it because apparently there'd been some accidents of yeah across the lake but fair that enough. was always good fun
0: good good so then a dream bar crawl so you your bar crawl Three people, dead or alive, can be anyone. Can be family members. Can be celebrities. You know who are you picking for your bar crawl? Who's coming on that bar crawl
1: for four of you? Um, who's coming on the bar crawl? I would take. <laughs> I'd love to take a caveman. <laughs> okay, a caveman. Yeah, from like thousands. Just of years to see ago. how he deals with it. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, like get the torch up on my phone and like FaceTime my mum and like see what he thought about that. Get like a match up. Nah, uh, Caveman would be would be amazing. Yeah, it's a so caveman two
0: one.
1: <clears throat> Maybe like <clears throat> George Monbiot, who's like he's 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 like a my favourite like journalist and author, he's a really cool guy. Um, I've never I haven't met him yet I'd like to meet him but I mean I, yeah so he'd be cool he's, he's a big inspiration somebody in that you mind. can pick his, pick I'd his brains I'd love to pick his brains a yeah 100% and uh, and then who else would I like to bring I'd bring someone from like the echelons the upper echelons of football so maybe like a super agent like uh, uh, like Fabrizio Romano is he an a- he's, not he's, a-, he's a, journalist, like a journalist isn't he yeah, yeah maybe I'll bring him because I feel like he's got the scoop anyway Well, he, he cuts across th- the agents doesn't I mean
0: it? he literally I think the agents pay him to put interest into their yeah. players like, I'm, sh- I'm yeah, sure, sure he gets cut oh yeah
1: because there's no corruption at the no. top end of football is there but, and, but that's I feel like it's a very male dominated thing maybe Tom York as well actually you know Tom York from Radiohead I feel like he's a creative dude who would be it would be interesting to pick his brains and the balance back out. i bring Julia, who was uh, one of my ex-partners who passed away because it could kind of get a little bit it could get a bit awkward with like all these like random characters and like the caveman and then you know like Fabrizio Romano. So someone to sort of like get Balance them to crack a out, smile, let everyone. get them dancing, to laugh at my bad jokes when they when they uh, when they don't go down well. So uh, that's that was five though. But I'll, that's take, I'll, take, I'll Do take you all know what them. we'll take five. We'll take, and where would you take them on the bar crawl? I'll take them to the Hanoi. Yeah, Hanoi, them, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> get them on um, the back of my motorbike. Five on the motorbike. Five on
0: the motorbike. Is that your
1: best? I got. I think on mine I must have had four. Wow. I uh, know I maybe three, maybe three. I'm saying I must have had four. I don't have any distinct memories of that, but three for sure.
0: Okay, and then so we've spoken about your musical background. So you've got you're in the gun. You you've you're living in Hanoi. You've brought you've brought the gun to Hanoi. You're in a bar. You're in the bar with Tom York Jr. Caveman. George and Fabrizio Romano and the well Sally remembered. is working behind the bar and Sally goes, Elliot, I'm about to close up, last song, what do you want to put on? What are you putting on?
1: Oh my god. I think I've gotta go all out. If like the if the vibes are high and like everyone's on the mad one, I might just oh it depends. it, it does depend, but maybe like a ABBA gimme gimme or something like that uh, Mariah Carey shake it off if you want to get on the dance floor a little bit like break it down get a little bit more sexy pff, probably one of the two or St. Kanye if we're going to spit bars depends on the vibe I reckon okay. George Monbiot spitting bars If you, he's, he's you've got to pick one me. you've got to pick one okay I'm going to hey Tim oh, Tim Tim you, you can help me answer this we're, we're finishing okay. up a podcast Hello, mate. we're finishing like? up a podcast one, one, it, one song you? yeah we're recording yeah, you're a... one song Tim has joined us one yeah. song. Tim's a creative designer. Yeah. Uh, Tim was a uh, designer. The, the of for future.
0: wedding videography at The wedding I was at. Did he a really? A few weeks ago. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah, and yeah. and Dan's future.
1: wedding. Yeah, 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 okay, all right. Final song. End of the night. What are we putting on?
0: What's the night been though? Does it? You're like in Hanoi. Best night. Ever. You're in Hanoi. You've brought the gun. Is open in Hanoi. Yeah. Sally's behind the bar. It's <laughs> Elliot. You've joined. Oh yeah. Hello. <laughs> You've joined. A Caveman's there, yeah. Elliot's uh, ex-partner Julia's there, Tom York's there, Fabrizio Romano's there and wow. George Mombio's there. What song <laughs> are we putting yeah, on? Like closing.
1: With the, closing. Like Sally said you've got song. one song We had a few drinks yeah, yeah. Had drinks? yeah, we had
0: drinks, yeah. had It's so. boozy. <laughs> it's boozy. Maybe the Macarena. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Sorted. The Macarena. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> right, quick fire. Them bottles or cans? Cans. Pub or club? Pub. Type of alcohol? Beer. Favorite TV pub? Do you have favorite? This one catches everyone out. Mose. Mose, nice. Nobody said that yet. Good. And then last week's. Would you rather? Would be. Would you rather be invisible or be able to fly? Be able to fly. And what's your reasoning?
1: I've had dreams where I fly before, and like it's like really fun. Um, and yeah. Sustainable? Nah, just fun. Solid. And then I need a would you rather from you. Uh, Would you rather be a beer or a football?
0: A beer or a football. What a question. Elliot Warsaw. Sam (laughs) Hart. My guy. Thank Thank you you so much for recording this. And uh, remember to tell your mates to turn the tap on. (laughs)